and always been in our prayers. We do thank God for you. Praying very much for the future. Thankful for all that the Lord has done and is doing amongst you. And uh, we do really thank God that there is a gospel church right in the heart of Bradford. Whenever I think of Sunbridge Road, that's what you think of, gospel. Gospel people, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. So very much in our prayers for you is this new initiative of a new building, which uh, I've seen the site of this morning. I had in my mind the wrong site, so I've been shown the proper site. And uh, even nearer the city of Bradford, the centre of Bradford, and uh, also praying for a new pastor. And thrilled to bits, really, that Phil's uh, staying on here, labouring in the work. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for this church. We pray for your great blessing upon it. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide them in the way that they should go. And even this morning, preparing the heart of some person that they might be brought here to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, if you'd like to turn in uh, to the scripture, please. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted, to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those 
who have been trained by it. Amen. Let's see what more the Lord has to say to us on this Sunday morning. Now, role models really are, um, well, very popular in our culture, aren't they? Everybody likes a role model. And Hebrews 11 and 12 gives us the answer, as Christian people, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is where we find our role models. Now, if somebody down our street becomes a professional footballer or some musician or top politician or whatever it is, then we might be inspired by that and that might encourage us, oh, fancy that, young so-and-so getting on and finding a position as they have done. That might inspire us, but they're never our role models because our role models are amongst Christian people. We see the godly. We see those who are particularly like the Lord Jesus Christ and they are our role models. We are the role models for Bradford. You know that, don't you? We are the people who know what it is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and our great passion and desire is to be like him. And so as we live our lives, what we desire is there is that winsomeness that attracts people to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to him. Hebrews 11 is um, a list of all these role models. They're all there, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, Moses is a good example in verse 27 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. This is why he's our role model, because he persevered, because he saw him who is invisible. He knew God, and that enabled him to persevere. So our role models are not those who are just starting off, but it's those who have gone through all the battle, all the spiritual warfare, and all the examples in Hebrews 11 are those who have made it. And so now they're with the Lord, which is far better. Their pilgrimage is over. So we look to them as we see that they had faith in God and persevered. And so they increasingly were made into the image of Christ, so we follow them as they follow Christ. So our eyes are on Christ, but they are his, uh, our, our, our examples. So there are role models, which is found there in the first verse of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, there's our role models. What's the command? Here's the command. Trust you've come to church prayerfully this morning. Lord, speak to me. Grant to me something of your will so that I might uh, put into operation what you would have me do. Well, here it is. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Anything that holds us back. Our great passion to be like Jesus. That's our lifestyle. So anything that we know in our lives which is sinful, that's our battle. Please, Lord, by the aid of your Holy Spirit, enable us to put to death that sin. So that's our battle. And anything that entangles us, some things that may not be uh, sinful in themselves, then they would uh, really be put to one side because they're not helpful. 
Grimshaw. Do you all know about Grimshaw at Haworth? There you are. There's a bit of homework for you to do. There was a great preacher years ago, along with Wesley and Whitfield and all the lads there, when the, our nation was transformed. There was a fellow up at Haworth, Grimshaw, and uh, he got himself a cow. And he was quite fond of this cow, uh, fresh milk every morning. You can't beat that, can you? And so he told all his friends about this cow and all the rest of it. And so they were amazed when he got rid of his cow. And they said, why? Why have you got rid of the cow? And his answer was, it was following me into the pulpit. You know what he meant, don't you? It was on his mind all the time. Nothing wrong with cows, okay? I haven't come down from Haworth to tell you, beware of cows. Cows are great. But for him, it was just, it was just getting a bit too attached. Anything can draw us away from God. And so here we have the command, anything that is sin and anything that for us might distract us away from Christ, throw it off. But here is the command, let us run with endurance or with perseverance, the race marked out for us. The difficulty of the Christian life is not knowing it is not, that is not, this is not the difficult, is not knowing what God wants us to do. That usually is clear. The problem very often with you and me is whether our hearts really wants to do what God is making known. So we have the gospel life laid out for us. We can listen to what God says to us as he reveals it in scripture, in his word. And so as we are continuing this race, that's the picture that... Paul gives us here, as we picture this race, and we are in this race, then he says, perseverance, endurance is what you need. We need to keep going. So this morning, it is a joy to be with you, and I pray that the word might be an encouragement to you, because what we are going to consider together are just two things. We are going to consider how necessary it is to persevere in the faith. And we're going to, secondly, consider how much joy has a role in that. So, in other words, to be joyous, to be joyful in the Lord, is essential if we are to persevere. So, firstly, why is it necessary to persevere in the faith? We've already sung, made a note of it, and we all meant it, didn't we? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. It's like a war cry, isn't it? No turning back. That's our determination. And so why is it so necessary to have that determination and to persevere in the faith? Well, we need to have a very clear understanding of what it is to be saved. And when we look into scripture, the word salvation, we find it in various places under three different tenses. So it's used in the past tense, in the present tense, and in the future tense. Now, this is important. Let me turn you, first of all, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. This is so impressive, you know. This, uh, this new stuff that you've got here, uh, that's uh, immediate, isn't it? There's the verses right in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know that, don't we? Scripture says, the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. That tells us that some people think that they do. 
But we're not going to be deceived. We know that they don't. Neither, there's a list here, who's he got? The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, the drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Past tense. This is church, isn't it? Jesus is a friend and a saviour of sinners. The gospel is to whosoever, the power of God unto salvation, to all who believe. The gospel is wonderful because we can take it to anybody. We don't have to go back, do we, and say, oh, they're too bad, better not talk to them about God. Because we know that Christ saves anyone. And we have the Apostle Paul, the chief of sinners, as the example of who God personally chose to proclaim the gospel and to bring it to the Gentiles. God's ways are great, aren't they? And so here we have uh, this clear um, speaking of Paul to the Corinthians and saying, look, some of you were like that. But you were, past tense, washed. You were, past tense, sanctified. You were, past tense, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You've been saved and your lives have been transformed through the power of God in the gospel. So God has changed them through their repentance. And repentance means a turning round from the old way of life towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not surprising that repentance is so prominent in Scripture. After all, John the Baptist preached it as preparation for Jesus. Jesus came to preach repentance right at the start of his ministry, in the middle, right at the end of his ministry, still preaching repentance. The apostles preached repentance. Peter at Pentecost, when asked, what shall we do when he proclaimed the gospel to these people who had murdered Christ? First word he gave them, repent. Paul preached repentance. Here he is in Athens where he actually specifically says, God commands all people everywhere to repent. And the God, the scriptures say, grants repentance. It's part of his power to grant repentance. So when the Holy Spirit begins to work on a person, then God starts from the inside, doesn't he? And this is the difference. This is why we're ever saying, look, don't think just of who we are as just religious people because people think that's to do with outside behavior but God starts with the heart a new heart he grants and he grants through the power of the Holy Spirit he convicts us of sin righteousness and judgment so a person is made poor in spirit we know that we're bankrupt before God we've nothing to commend ourselves at all to God we're bankrupt he makes us poor in spirit and he makes us so that we mourn over our sin sin becomes the enemy we recognize that this is the offense against God so we mourn over our sin and our whole attitude to other people is changed through the working of the Holy Spirit, because we no longer think that we're the bee's knees, and we can look down on anybody else who just doesn't know how to handle their life. We can't think like that anymore. So he makes us meek. And so there's this meekness that actually we are not better than anybody else. We're all in the same boat. And so we hunger and we thirst for what? Righteousness. Does this ring any bells, by the way? 
We're going through the first stage of the Sermon of the Mount when Jesus spoke, and we know these things as the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes where we are blessed. And you can see that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Some people look at the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, as some kind of thing to aspire to. You know, oh yeah, I need to try and be a bit more like that. Well, it's not something to aspire to. It's actually a description of what a Christian is. It's what God does in the heart of a person to change them. And so you can't wake up in the morning and say, oh, what do I need to do today? I know, I need to be poor in spirit and mourn. How do you do that? Well, that's going to be a bit hard. I feel quite happy this morning. How do I do that? You can't aspire to it. God does it in your heart. It's a description of a Christian. And so we have the Holy Spirit granting to us uh, an ability to be merciful because we have been forgiven. We find in our heart a new, uh, a new empowering to forgive Pure in heart, don't panic, God's not asking for perfection there. He's just asking for Christ to be exalted at, on, on the throne of our hearts. And blessed are the peacemakers, those who would seek this reconciliation between God and human beings because there's been this great separation. So we've got the work of the Holy Spirit and we've got the work making us uh, poor in spirit and casting ourselves upon God. This is salvation. And Paul says to the Corinthians, you are saved. I need to pause there just for a moment because this aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit of repentance is very important in our day because there is an increasing tendency. I don't know if you've noticed it. You're a gospel church. <laughs> you may not have noticed it, but in other areas, you listen to the message. I heard a preacher few weeks ago, literally a few weeks ago, and I've heard others say similar things. And this preacher said, salvation is a free gift of God. Amen. It is, isn't it? But then he went on to say, repentance is not a prerequisite for that gift to come. Ooh, steady. Just think about that. Whoa, whoa, steady. Because isn't the thing when God saves somebody that the work of the Holy Spirit, the new birth, is to grant these characteristics that Jesus is speaking about, describing a Christian in the Beatitudes, and that person knows that they are bankrupt before God. And all they can cry is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if there's anyone in, in, uh, here this morning who's not saved, you can leave this building saved by as simple as that that you from your heart cry out to God knowing that you've nothing to give, but you are trusting Jesus Christ alone, his finished work, and your prayer is, God, have mercy on me. And it's admitting, I'm a sinner. That's repentance. You won't get into the kingdom without that. So don't believe these modern-day heresies. Well, they're not modern-day at all, but it is becoming more and more prevalent. So be careful of that one. And so it's faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And so we have, and this is my contribution to Christmas at the start of December, we have the great message of the angels down in Bethlehem to the shepherds, do not fear because in the city of David, 
is born to you this day, born for all people who a saviour who is Christ the Lord. So as John puts it in the first chapter of his, ch uh, of his gospel, then the Lord Jesus Christ is presented to us and we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and we recognise him. Jesus spent so much of his ministry so that his disciples could recognise who he is. He is the Christ, the anointed one of God with all the power of God. And having recognised him, we might receive him. Salvation. Praise be to God. Repentance and faith in Christ alone. Speaks to the Corinthians and says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. Past tense. Praise be to God. But then, other parts of scripture, have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because here we have a verse in verse 15 where Paul says, we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So now it's the present tense. Oh, I thought we were saved. Well, you are saved, but you're not yet in heaven. <laughs> and so you are being saved. We're in the process. We're all a work uh, in, pro in pro process. And so that means that we recognize we need to be diligent because Jesus insists it's those who persevere to the end that shall be saved. The parable of the sower teaches us this. So in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God. And Jesus' view of the world is that every single one of us, everybody who hears the gospel, we're in one of four categories. Only one of those four categories bear fruit. The first category, the seed, the word of God came and Satan snatched it from the heart. Beware of that. We're not ignorant, ignorant of Satan's devices. And so we understand how he works. And he will try and obliterate the word. He's at work now. He's at work whenever the word of God is preached. Because he'll always be active to try and dilute it, to try and reject it, to put it away from you, to really be against it. That's how Satan works. In the second category, they seem to be getting on fine. They receive the message with joy. But as soon as trials and persecutions come, they pack it in. They don't go on. The third group, well, they have the word of God. They hear the word of God. But actually, they have other problems. And the other problems they have is they have uh, wealth and worries. And other things come in upon them. It's amazing, isn't it? Our adults, we can worry about all sorts of stuff, can't we? we can, I'll share this with you. I, I was sitting in the chair in the kitchen the other morning, and I was quite concerned. Because this, this is pathetic. This is the reason I'm telling you. It's a confession, is this. I didn't know which bin to pour out that particular morning. <laughs> and sometimes if you get behind, it can be a bit of a problem, can't it? And you think, and it came to me. This is just ridiculous. Why is that a concern? Why, why do we ever get anxious about stupid things? We can get anxious about anything. Well, anxieties, the deceitfulness of money. Deceitful goes along with wealth. It creeps up on you. And the desire of other things like Grimshaw's cow or anything at all that can just take priority 
in our lives. The devil uses all these things. James, bless him, in chapter 1, says these very same things can happen to a believer. They can be persecuted. They can go through trials. And God will make them a blessing. But the devil will use them in the opposite direction. So the exact same thing can happen to two people. And for one person, they're under trial and they say, they walk away from Jesus. Somebody else, exactly the same circumstances, they turn to Jesus and they end up persevering and they end up maturing as a Christian. So beware of the devil's devices. We are being saved. That means we are absolutely diligent in the keeping of our own souls. Galatians 5 verse 19 says this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. We've read a list like this before. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, the like. Not a complete list, by the way. A few examples of the sinful person. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not enjoy the Christian life as they should. Hang on, let's read that again. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> well, that's a big difference. We're outside the kingdom. Oh, Lord, we are completely and entirely dependent on your power to change lives through the gospel. We know that the power of God is seen in the gospel. We are all inclusive in the sense that everybody must hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God for the work you do here in the center of Bradford. Pray that God might ever continue to prosper that because this gospel needs to go to anybody and we know that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall have everlasting life. But we are not all inclusive that it doesn't matter how you react. We can't say, I follow Jesus, and to be no change in life. John, in his first epistle, speaks about the litmus test, whether I'm a Christian or not. He said there are three things which are essential. First of all, a right view of Christ. He is God and he is man. We can't be wrong on that. Secondly, a changed life. It's got to be there. Thirdly, a love that the Holy Spirit gives us for each other. A love for fellow believers. That's the test. So the third verse that we're going to turn to is Romans 5 verse 9. We are saved, we are being saved, but also we shall be saved. It's in the future tense as well. So in Romans 5 verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, present tense, <laughs> we're already justified, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Future, because we're not yet there. When Christ comes again, then we shall receive glorious bodies and we shall be in the new heavens and the new earth and live with him for eternity, presented to God. And we are looking forward to that time when everything will have brought to its culmination, God's plans have brought us right to the end. So we need to be diligent to throw off everything that hinders that sin so that easily entangles because we are not yet there. We are assured we have eternal life. We are assured of that. 
But we are not complacent. Because in the parable of the sower, those people who packed it in when persecution came, those people who packed it in when anxieties and when they got a bit of money and when other things took a bigger interest than Jesus came, just proved that they weren't saved in the first place. Because the only assurance we have that we are saved is that now, this morning, now, at 10 to 12, we are trusting Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we are following him. And there's no turning back. We sang it. <laughs> we meant it. Don't sing stuff we don't mean, do we? No turning back. Well, briefly then, that's the need to persevere. Something here, though, is joy is vital in our desire to persevere. Nehemiah, when he was building the wall in Jerusalem, Ezra was re reading the law, and all the people wept. And Nehemiah said, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. So do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now that's what we need to persevere. We need strength. Okay. How does this strength come? We know very often, and we are reminded often, that we are too weak to continue. We're completely reliant on the Lord Jesus. We need his strength, not our own strength. But what does that mean tangibly? That something I can get hold of. How do we receive the strength of God? Well, here we have a verse. It's the joy of the Lord. There is your strength. Now, there's a couple of ways of thinking about this. In Isaiah 62, verse um, 5, <clears throat> as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God Rejoice over you. Now this is glorious, isn't it? The scripture tells us that God rejoices over you. Like a bridegroom rejoices in his bride. I've taken a lot of weddings over the years. Never, never had a bridegroom, because I always encourage him to turn round and look at the bride coming into the building. Well, you've got to, haven't you? She's got especially... Uh, dressed up and everything to look nice and it's no good him looking at the front he's got to look at her and so in she comes never ever had a bridegroom that turns around and says oh no what have I done <laughs> and I pray God I might never have sometimes we tend to think God might look upon us like that but he doesn't he doesn't he has a joy a real joy in God says Isaiah a joy in us. Now that's wonderful. Now if we believe scripture, we've got to believe everything. If we believe it when the Holy Spirit convinces us of our sin, and we own up and we say, yeah, I am a sinner, I get it, I understand that, then we've got to get it as well when we hear about the joy that God has in us. So there's joy in God over us, but then when Jesus in John 17 verse 13 is praying for his disciples, he says, I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So you've got joy in the Lord and that strengthens us to know that we bring him joy because we are in, um, be, well, because we're in the hands of, hands of God. And because we recognize that he has clothed us with his righteousness. So we, he, we have joy in him 
um, that he has joined us, but also this joy that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. Now, pray God, and pray this for you, that we might experience in a greater, greater measure the joy of the Lord. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. How does that work? The world doesn't understand that because they're standing in that position of blessedness in relationship with God. And therefore, they are blessed. And so, this joy is not dependent, how we thank God, not dependent on circumstances. Poor Bradford City supporters, dear, the trauma they go through every weekend and all the rest of it. Their happiness on Monday morning is dependent on how the team have done. We could never live like that, could we? And so, we are not dependent on circumstances. Whatever happens, we have this relationship with God. And that is what matters. And so, we have this joy that Jesus gives us. Now, just to close, let's have a look at a couple of incidents where Jesus is full of joy. Now, if we want joy, and we say, well, the Scriptures give us uh, occasions when Jesus is filled with joy. One occasion is in Luke 10 and verse 21. Now, this is after it sent, sent 70 out. And they came back cockaroop. They were really, they had a fantastic day because they'd seen all sorts of things, the power of God at work. And Jesus has to remind them, don't rejoice over that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then, at that time, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because we're going to find out what fills Jesus full of joy. Okay, you ready for this? Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. That's when Jesus was full of joy. Because all the wise professors and all those who really you would have thought were going to be incredibly influential in this new movement called Christianity. They couldn't get it. And then these six-year-olds come up and they understand immediately. They see Jesus and they recognize him and they receive him and God gives them the Holy Spirit and a new heart and they get it. And what's Jesus doing? Well, you see, many of us, we'd be a bit depressed because when people would ask, how, how are things going? Say, uh, uh, with the kids, it's fine, to be honest. Uh, we've, we've, uh, yeah, a number of baptisms, young, young people believing. But, you know, we've, we've got access to the university and, and uh, we've got all these Bible studies going on. But all these people who could be so influential, you know, they're not moved at all. And we'd be a bit fed up. Jesus stands back and he knows his father. And he's just thrilled to bits. This is how my father works. Watch how he works. Watch what God does. Watch how he works and rejoice in what God does. Don't let's have our own agenda. You'll always be disappointed with your own agenda. If we get hold of God's, then that is a source of joy. Jesus was filled with joy of watching how God worked. Hebrews 12, verse 2, back to Hebrews to finish off. And in Hebrews 12, 
verse 2, we read this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, future joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. How did Jesus get through Gethsemane? When he was on this precipice, and when he understood that he had to be made sin, he who is holy, who has no sin, was going to be made sin, and he was going to be in our place, because that's what the cross is all about. God cannot just shrug his shoulders at sin. It has to be dealt with. And so the Lord Jesus was the one as our substitute in our place to take the wrath of his father and satisfy his righteousness. We are wondrously glad for that. How did he manage it? The joy of what was to come. Heavenly minded. He was waiting for heaven like we are. If you've got heaven on your mind then some people say you're of no earthly use because you're so heavenly minded. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. Because if you've got heaven on your mind, you can get through anything, anything. Whatever problems you've got now, whatever trials you've got now, whatever pains and heartaches you have got this morning, you know it's temporary. And you know that if you keep following, no turning back, and you persevere, then very, very, very soon, we're with Christ, which is far better. Far better. I'm going to a funeral of one of my dearest friends tomorrow. Bless him. A great soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's with the Lord now. All the sorrow will be ours. We'll miss him big, big time. But it's all our sorrow. It's not his. He's in heaven. And so persevere. This is the message for this morning. Be filled with the joy of the Lord. That's your strength. And persevere. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, says the writer to the Hebrews. And so consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's no need. The only way we're going to grow weary, the only way we're going to lose heart, is if we start listening to the devil. But we're not ignorant of his devices. And so we know for a fact, if testings come, James tells us what we have to do about that. James 1, read it this afternoon. So we're not going there. That's not going to bring us down, is it? What about the love of money? What about the deceitfulness of riches? What about anxieties and the pleasure of other things? Well, be diligent. Be aware, because looking unto Jesus, we have no need to be weary or to turn back. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you give us strength. We understand, Lord, how important joy is. We pray that this day you might fill us with that joy of the Lord, to know that he is delighted with those for whom the Lord has rescued and saved oh father and we pray that increasingly in our hearts we might be filled with this joy that is not absolutely dependent upon circumstances but in our standing with you we ask this in jesus name for his sake amen let's sing together